big rocks and all that sort of thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, hello. Welcome to the Mick Wall podcast. Mick Wall and John Hotton. Um, by the way, have you listened to this back on Spotify recently? There's all these ads that come up. Yeah, the we ads. Start. I was going to talk to you because I said, "Where's my? Where's money? Where's the money? I ain't got any money. I've got literally got nothing." They're putting ads on our podcast, and we're not getting the money. Yeah, I know. How does that work? I, I don't like, know. I think we're like Who one of those artists that go, yeah. we, we, "Spotify, you don't even get paid." You know what we need? A manager. <laughs> That's what <laughs> nicely we need. done. Yeah. But if we were to have a manager. We don't just want a bean counter. We want someone who's on our level, on the same yeah. level as the artist. Yeah. Who could that be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, 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 we were tossing up what to talk about during this podcast. Oh, right. And I've inadvertently just already gone down that road. You've, you've gone down the road, one of the roads we were talking about going down. Right. The lonely road, <laughs> the only road I've ever known, as old Cuff used to say. Oh, boy, I met a guy in the pub the other night and uh, turned out uh, he was a classic rock magazine guy. And he was asking me, so what, David Coverdell, what's he like? Yeah. And I was telling them some stories. Uh, much hilarity ensued. ensued. Yeah. Did he, I know I've asked you this before, but did he ever call you Jonathan? Uh, I don't think he did. I think that I think in the telling of the, some of the stories, it's become Jonathan. Right. But I don't think he did. Because I was always Michael. Yeah, I think he does that. But I, <laughs> yeah. Yes, David. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But anyway, back to managers. Let's do managers. We'll we'll bone up on the other one another time. Um, what's this about Alan Niv? Well, there was news this week about the Niv, as we call him, wasn't there? Now the Niv. If you existed through the glo- what I call the glory era of Kerrang, i.e., when I worked there. <laughs> Uh, and a few years before. A few years before that, when the... When I worked there. The, yeah, when Mick Wall worked there. Uh, the Mick Niv, Wall of Kerrang! The Niv was one of the... Was right up there. He was one of the big, big, big boys. He because was. He, because he... As a manager. As a manager and as a character. As a character. Because he he began as the manager of Great White. Yeah. And then took on a little-known band called Guns and Roses. Yeah just as they were about to make a little-known album called <laughs> Appetite for Destruction. And they were his secondary band. They were his secondary band. Great White remained and remain his first choice. Well, he was much more involved with Great White in the sense that he co-wrote many He wrote a lot of their songs, songs as well. Yeah. Because he, he's, again, a multifaceted, multi, uh, can't say it, multifaceted guy, the Niv. Writer, producer, arranger. You know, locator of mandolin strings. He's all of those things. And he, money yeah. man, yeah. troubleshooting man, yeah. go-to guy. That's the Niv. And 
born in New, New Zealand. Zealand. From New Zealand. I remember him telling me on the phone once some of his backstory, and it was fascinating. Born in New Zealand, but sent to school in England. Yes. Which is where he developed his love of cricket. Because I've got a theory that all great rock managers should love cricket. <laughs> Including the guy who managed Spinal Tap. Ian Faith. Yeah. You Ian know, Faith. You never just... know when you're going to need a good piece of wood in your hands. <laughs> As he used to say about his cricket bat. <laughs> Which is true. I, I mean, that's the sort of principle that you live your life by, and, isn't and, it? And that the Niv lived a portion of his life by, yeah. And yeah. He'd But fascinating. So he, he, he had the whole thing of, you know, all of the issues that intelligent young men who get sent to public school have, the notions of abandonment and, you know, conformity and all of those things that we've seen resound through successive governments in the uk mm. because you know mm. one school seems to have provided mm. you know five of the last seven prime ministers or whatever it is it's like something like 14 out of 15 yeah um so uh, and you know they all have this experience in common and it's it creates a kind of dual personality where you've got a, you know a frightened little boy and an you know a empowered and clever and you know slightly you know, in some ways, devious young man. Well, he lived on his nerves. Yeah, you know, yeah, but, who did, yeah. But, but, but with a classical education. Yeah, so. but, you know, you get this tremendous tremendous education, but you're also miles from home. You're trying to establish yourself in a new culture where you can't quite work out where you fit in, especially at Eton, where, which, yeah, which wasn't the school that, I don't think the school that Niv went to, right. the school where the prime ministers went to, where, you, you, you know, you are... Could literally be sitting next to a billionaire's kid, or yeah. a, well, you probably yeah. are. You probably you are. Probably yeah. Could yeah. There's a slight chance yeah. you might not be sitting, yeah. next to or you might be sitting next to you know someone whose family has been going to Eton since the 11th century. Yeah. So all of these things are factors. All of yeah, all of these things are factors. And uh, he has got quite a backstory, which we don't have time to tell. But um, by the time he. Uh, meets Guns and Roses, as yeah. you say. He's in LA. He's in LA. He's long time in LA. He was involved. He had a management company called something like Green. Yes. Green something or other, a Green Wave or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to uh, do some more of my Res- deep dive research yeah. on this, but he also, I think it was a distribution company. That's right. Yeah. Out. So, for instance, he was involved in the early Motley Crew. That's right. The, the ones that came out on Leather Records. Yes. Yeah. Too Fast um, for Love. And he kind of took all that into um, uh, managing Great White, who I have to say, I think he, I think he, the job he did with Great White was 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 more impressive than the job with Guns and Roses in many ways because. Um, probably slightly less to work with and that's not yes. a slight on Great White at all who sold you know, two or three certainly platinum albums but I think again it was Alan who came up with the strategy of you know calling the albums you know, there was once bitten yeah. and then there was twice, twice shot you know so this notion of having a forward looking plan rather than a live by the day you know make records by the seat of your pants which was very much the culture at the time and also, it was Alan that brought them the song "Once Bitten, Twice Shy," yeah. which none of, nobody in Great White had, had, had ever heard of, because it was the first solo single by Ian Hunter, with Mick Ronson on guitar, that they made after Mott the Hoople split up, 
and Mick Ronson had joined Mott the Hoople latterly. And I, I don't, uh, pretty sure they didn't even do an album. They did a live, there was a live record, which I think Ronson is on. But it all ended badly. And next thing, Ian and Mick, uh, well, it's, it's, it's Ian Hunter, but Mick Ronson is the guitarist. And the first single is Once Bitten Twice Shy, which wasn't a big hit here. It was very well reviewed. It was a great track. Um, I remember it began with Hunter going, Hello. Whatever <laughs> 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 it goes, Hello. Yeah. <laughs> little girl in the rock and roll world. Yeah, I'm quite surprised it wasn't a hit. Yeah. <laughs> Niv was the one that seized on that because it it should have been a hit, yeah, and gave it to Great White, and they had a huge American hit with it. Hunter probably made more money off that record than anything he ever did yeah. on his own, or with Mott the Hoople. Um, uh, but he really did. He 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 took and shaped Great White. I mean, they, you know, their singer um, Jack Russell. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. like the best looking boy in the class. Was no, he? no. But I mean, he was a kind of, uh, I mean, I suppose, and uh, yeah, a lot of when Alan talks about his, I suppose you call it his downfall, though all downfalls are, are relative. Um, <laughs> Who's downfall? Yeah, Alan's downfall. Yeah, right. When he left the business, right. you know, and and went and lived uh, out in in the wilds of Arizona. I think it's Arizona. Yep. I think yeah. Yeah. Um, and deliberately so. I mean, he he took that decision for his own sanity no absolutely um, but it was a yeah essentially from prolonged exposure to jack white jack russell sorry um and and i think also perhaps axel, axel rose. rose but i mean cut from the same cloth when you hear some of the jack russell stories it's very much like hearing the axel rose stories yeah yeah, yeah. And, can, and can you give us one well i well i mean the the famous and the tragic one uh, that that Alan tells, and I, re- I remember I wrote, I wrote a piece about Great White for maybe it was Classic Rock or someone, and that was I think a bit how I got to know Alan because the the one thing that everyone associates Great White with in their latter period is the fire that happened right right at the nightclub they were playing. Well, you know I think about eighty people died, and it was because of they set off pyro in a in a environment they shouldn't have set off pirates they were were culpable for this um, and obviously that impacted everyone hugely but by that point alan was i think i have to get the story right alan was out of the business by that point and crashing on someone's sofa right and actually had a almost a, a sort of a fever dream where he woke up and saw the tv right. and saw the news report of this fire and couldn't work out whether he was still dreaming or whether this was actually real, and it turned out to be real. But the story that I wrote starts with Alan. He, he's a, he, you know, say he's a very intelligent guy, and he got to a point in his life where he thought about reproachment and kind of, you know, making amends with all of the people that he'd sort of had fallen out with him yeah. or whatever because of the business. So he invited Jack Russell to his house yes. out in Arizona. Yes, and obviously Alan, you know, he's. A, He's a sensible guy. He's made a lot of money and has, I'm sure, a very nice house out in the expensive part of Arizona. But the thing is, you you know, as he was describing it, you approach it via a a long road. It's up in the mountains. Yeah, it's his own road that approaches his own house. You you don't go down the road unless you're going to (laughs) Niv's place, you know. And uh, so he's sitting on his balcony watching this car come 
along the road and it's getting closer and closer and the car stops and a woman gets out and walks around to the other side of the truck and opens the truck door, pulls out a wheelchair, puts the wheelchair down by the side of the truck, lifts down the person that's in the passenger seat, this kind of frail, skinny guy who obviously can't walk, puts him in the wheelchair and starts pushing him up towards the house. And Alan realises it's Jack. Wow. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Yeah, he, the way Niv tells the story, like, wow, you know, because <laughs> he's a good storyteller. But yeah, so I mean, this is, you know, obviously... The, I, I, it, 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 by this point, I think Great White had also done the classic thing where there's, you know, there's Jack Russell's Great White and there's, you know, someone else's, Mark Kendall's Great White or whatever. I was in touch with Alan as well around that time. I'm fuzzy on the details because we're going back about seven or eight years, but um, there was a moment where he was persuaded to try and help Jack uh, recover his career. Uh, yeah. And they were talking about doing an album of covers. And he asked me if I had any suggestions. So I sent, uh, I've just been listening to it, I sent, there's a track called Debris on the um, third Faces album, A Nod's As Good As A Wink, but it's written and sung by Ronnie Lane. Rod Stewart harmonises on the chorus, but it's a Ronnie Lane song. And Niv loved it. He said, this is so Jack, because it's like a, a... I left you on a debris. You know, it's mm. one of those very elegiac kind of songs. And so emboldened, I then started sending even Loads, more. So None of which... Sending you, I, your own songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd have done. Change a word, yeah, get, get a, a third. third. Said, well, I'm getting 100% of this one because I wrote it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not called debris anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, called it's, Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> change a word get a a third third, yeah um but there was a coda to this i don't know how much time went by but uh eventually niv i think literally threw him out of the house i'm sure he did because you know although uh alan has reconciled to his past it doesn't mean that the others have you know the others some people just aren't ever gonna change i don't think hardly any of my that that's another pod we must discuss well i think the reason the reason why we're talking about alan is that he he is just i think yesterday given an interview somewhere or other that i saw being tweeted about where he the the sort of the line they picked out was that he'd said and I think probably rightly that Guns N' Roses have been creatively redundant since 1991. The same year they Co- coinc- fired him. Coincidentally, the year that Alan left. <laughs> well, um, but, but, but it's but, probably but, true. Yeah, you know, well, it's probably true. Probably, you know, entirely related in yeah. many ways. Yeah. Alan helped me a great deal on my Guns N' Roses book, Last of the Giants. And I was adamant, I, adam- I was determined to try and be as even-handed as possible to get away from this accusations of, of um, getting my own back or something like yeah. that. Um, I wanted it to be, because it is an epic story. And, um, you know, for the longest time, Alan, Alan was the checks and balances in Guns N' yeah. Roses. And I wonder if, thinking about it now, if the fact that Great White was his great love, he was much more personally invested in it because he did co-write the songs. He would make suggestions and they would follow them up. Whereas with Axel, if you suggested it, you'd guarantee it's not going to happen. Yeah. 
Um, but well, he was very close with Slash. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the the first thing to sort of say is that when Alan took on Guns N' Roses, they were considered unmanageable. They, you know, they <laughs> rightly so. They, it was obvious they had songs. It was obvious they might be a decent sized band. I don't think anyone had idea any idea no. the size that they might grow no. to. But they would be a kind of you know platinum act but nonetheless you had a series of well-established managers who tried and failed to get anywhere near them not not just failed but after spending a bit of time with them went not on your not yeah yeah. no way am i working with these um and yet alan was the one who managed to corral them into making this record and i think was very instrumental in getting mike clink as well yeah maybe um but i i one funny story um, one of the reasons he got involved with Guns N' Roses, who don't forget are no one at this point, other than known as known troublemakers, pains in the arse. In the 80s, where the ideal was Bon Jovi or Def Leppard or Mania, well-oiled machines, super professional, all those things that, that were hallmarks of what was considered 80s excellence, Guns N' Roses weren't any of those things. And so people were quite rightly like, oh, fuck this, it's not 1973 anymore, this isn't going to work. But uh, Anne told me that Tom Zutow, the a and man, the A&R yeah. man had been a, more of a talent spotter at WEA, uh, but had tipped them off to Motley Crue. And Alan had been involved in the distribution of uh, the leather... Too Fast for Love. Too Fast for Love. On leather records. Leather records, yeah. Um, uh, so got to know Tom. And and Tom was desperate. You know, he, he, he'd gone to Geffen. He wanted to make his mark. But no one would take this signing seriously. And he said, Tom came out to... I think Alan had a place on Catalina Island. Oh, nice, yeah. And um, he said he, he kind of decided to test Tom. And, and his test was to make him a dinner, a, a, an Alan Niven special dinner called Chicken a la LSD. Oh. <laughs> and what he, what's that, what's that <laughs> recipe? Well, he used to roast chicken yeah. and lace it with LSD. Yeah, that very much as the name <laughs> suggests. <isn't> it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Is it, that's the sort of thing that Heston Blumenthal has now made a fortune out <laughs> Oh, here's a mushroom that tastes like a table, you know. And yeah. looks like one <laughs> yeah. after you've eaten yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no, Alan, as Alan said, he certainly cooked it and served it to Tom. And he said, you know, cue 18 hours of madness, yeah. you know, weeping and swimming in the sand. Yeah. Um, but at the end of that, he felt, yeah, you know, he sort of passed the test. And um, But another made me laugh. He said, the very first Guns N' Roses show Alan went to to check him out. You'll never guess what happened. <laughs> Did Axel at some point refuse to go on stage at all? Axel refused to yeah. go on stage. In fact, fucked off from the gig. And the band are going, what are we going to do? And Alan's like, we'll just do it without him. And they're like, what? I can't do that. Yeah, you can. So they did. Yeah. And from Alan's point of view, that, that was a, a marker. Because Izzy could. Izzy could yeah. sing. Yeah. Izzy could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and don't forget, he's not Axel yet. He's no, a he's stupid just, kid from yeah. the backwards of nowhere. Talented as hell, but a dre- Izzy once told me that, because uh, they went to school together, 
the very first time and Izzy had a band and he, and it, they needed a front guy and Izzy thought well that he didn't know if he could sing he just thought well that guy's crazy he'd be great and at the very first audition or audition slash rehearsal after three numbers Axel chucked down the mic and ran out the room mm. never to return till the next day you know so Niv- this is Niven's introduction um, but he goes with it and you know what you're saying about no one thought they would do well by the time they did Donington in 88 by now they are rapidly becoming one of the biggest bands in the world even though they're very low on the bill and I saw him that day and he said uh, he said you know if you told me that this meaning appetite this record would sell 200,000 copies I'd have thought you were crazy not a hope. And at that point, I think they were already up to like five million or something. Yeah. Five million. So he was a, a five very million. creative, very creative, yeah. also a risk taker, yeah. very bold, not intimidated at all. No, he'd march into record companies and renegotiate deals and things like things you always thought, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> Go and knock on the door, yeah. See this contract is tearing it up. Because I've just sold five million records. Yeah. yeah. So and, and, and he had that panache. Yeah. Like, well, um, he sort of looks a bit like he could be in the band as well, doesn't he? You know, he's got the, <laughs> we did the, hat, those days, yeah, yeah. the hat and the hair and everything. Yeah. But also, um, he was good at detail. So Great White were his grand passion. Um, and before Guns N' Roses uh, even came close to making it, uh, Malcolm Dome on Kerrang, the late great Malcolm Dome, who we should say I saw also on Twitter. It was a year ago, a year ago that Malcolm died. Yeah, yeah, terrible shame. Yeah. I did a, did we? I can't remember. We did a pod about yeah, we did, yeah. about Malcolm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think I might have even done a little personal one about him at some point. Oh, Maybe did I wrote you? something. Yeah. I don't know. But um, in those days, it, Alan being a details man. Um, he so appreciated Malcolm's, you know, enduring support of Great yeah. White that every time Malcolm went to LA, which of course he would off his own back sometimes, go and stay at a friend's place, Alan always made sure there was a limo at the airport to meet him. Yeah. And Malcolm wasn't a particular limo guy. No. He could have sent a horse and cart and he'd yeah. been happy. Bicycle. Anything. Yeah. Tandem. Yeah. <laughs> back of a lorry. Yeah. Um, but he would send a limo and then he'd find out whatever day Malcolm was leaving again and make sure there was another limo to take him back. I remember uh, Arlette Variki, the, the famous publicist that worked for Alan with Guns N' Roses. Did she well, do great I, 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 No, I don't think she did. I don't think anyone could ever work out what Arlette did or who she... No, I knew what she did, but who she worked for. She seemed to sort of work I don't know. Well, work and play were, yeah, were, were not separated for. I like used to think, the where did she get her money from? Well, but definitely they paid her to do they guns. They must have done. But because Slash was living at her place for a long time, <laughs> again, this is before they got any yeah. money. Um, I remember I was there once and Alan had sent over a case of Dom Perignon champagne. Yeah. And as far as I could tell, it was literally for services above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah, I having slash sleep on your sofa for yeah. six months. Yeah, imagine, or come round imagine what days. that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now she was amazing. When one of those famous times when 
he got taken off to Hawaii to clean up or yeah. something. She drove to the airport to bring him what she put it, his little bottle of Jack. Because yeah. everywhere he went, he had a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah. She drove to the airport just to make sure he had a bottle of mm. Jack this Daniels. This is probably why <laughs> Niven was desperate to get her away. <laughs> well, but, no, I mean, but, that was, that was, those yeah. were the days when rock and roll people truly existed yeah but know. the yeah and these and, days you get and an the, email the thing about guns and roses was not only were they extraordinary characters in their own right but they were surrounded by these extraordinary characters arlette you've mentioned alan we've mentioned but alan then takes on to work with him doug goldstein, doug goldstein. who is another amazing character but ends up the sort of engine of chaos that destroys all the relationships well well, because I mean, of, between Alan and the band, certainly. Yeah. That's the version. Well, well, Doug was the tour manager, yeah. and, and he was a very experienced tour manager. I mean, uh, Doug had tour managed our friends Sabbath when Glenn Hughes uh, was in the band. And uh, Doug told me that, that when he turned up first day on the tour, I think he'd been parachuted in after a week or two or something. He said, and Glenn Hughes was out lying naked outside the hotel in the middle of the day. And uh, Doug went over and said, uh, hi, hi, Glenn, I'm Doug. I'm your new tour manager. And Glenn's lying on the ground naked going, oh, good to meet you. Could you possibly help me back into yeah, the hotel? Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So Doug was super experienced and he was the day-to-day... Doug told me about, again, long before they were... This is what was so great about Guns N' Roses. It wasn't after they got famous that they got crazy. Long They shouldn't have got famous. They were that crazy. He, he told me when they were, you know, opening for Motley Crue or something. Slash was so drunk, he used to piss himself. And he said he had memories of literally carrying Slash unconscious over his shoulder into hotel lobbies. Hi, I'm Doug Goldstein, uh, Mr. Hudson, or whatever his name is. And they'd be going, it's and they'd be in the elevator with normal yeah. people. What floor? Uh, seven. Just dropping my, <laughs> dropping my mate back at his room. So Doug was battle-hardened. Yeah. And sure enough, Axel gravitated towards him because Alan didn't have the time for Axel's shit. Exactly, yeah. Did. I think that's what it was. And and I think Axel, yeah, who again is is I think intuitive, would have picked up on this uh notion that Alan's heart was really with Great White, yeah. as he as he would always say later. And however big Guns N' Roses got and however much money they made, you know, the sort of father figure that Axel's looking up to actually loves the other kid better. Yeah, know? yeah. I'm, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And also because because Doug was so good at his job, you know, he was literally Mr. 24-7. Um, you couldn't fault him at all. Well, he had to be because, I mean, you have to look at this. If you think about Alan's company in 1991, taking a random year around that time, whatever it was, You've got Guns N' Roses, who are essentially a mini industry. Yeah. You know, they've got an album that sold 10 million copies. Well, how much money does that generate? They've been on a tour that's generated X amount of money. They've merchandise that's generated another. He's also got Great White, who are a multi-platinum band, who have been on tour generating. It's like running a sort of pretty medium-sized business. Yeah, yeah. 
but one that's very chaotic and has lots of moving parts. And, you know, Alan, I, re- I remember him saying, you know, he would be in his office in L.A. And he's also, I think, married at the time, trying to yeah. hold down some sort of personal life. Yeah. But, you know, you're trying to get to your kid's sports day or whatever it is. You know, you've got to promise to take the wife out for a drink. All of a sudden, you know, well, Axel's in a city that begins with M <laughs> and won't go on stage. <laughs> and Alan was the sort of person who would go on a get on a plane that night, whatever was happening, and go and sort it out. Yeah. But so, I mean, the, it's just the detail involved in managing something of that size. It sounds like it's a great job, but actually someone needs to be responsible. Yeah. Someone needs to count the shekels, you know. Uh, absolutely. But also understand the mentality of a Guns yeah. and Roses or an Axel. I mean, he, he told me when they, when they opened... Um, opened? No, no. When Axel and Izzy guested at a Stones show in like November 80, I'm going to say 88. And it was, uh, these days everything's on TV or your phone, but back then it was a big deal. It was going to be filmed and televised. And um, it was Axel and Izzy going to be on stage with the Rolling Stones. And they were going to do a Stones song. And they had said to Axel and Izzy, you can choose whatever Stones song you want and we'll do it with you singing and playing uh, and uh, according to Alan Axel didn't know what Stone song to pick so Alan chose it for him I can't remember what the bloody hell it was but it was a great choice apparently Jagger said we'd never even played that one live before. oh wow yeah it'll come to me of course when I finish doing this but um, the 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 eve of the show the trucks have already left you know Axel's not doing it I'm not leaving my room I'm not doing the show yeah. And uh, and it was decision time. So do we just call it all off? Let the Stones know he's not coming. And um, Alan said he had this pair of dice on his desk. They were casino dice. They were red. And he said, "Okay, I'm just going to roll the dice. Literally roll, roll the, the dice. dice yeah. And whatever number it was, if it's over six, we go. If it's under six, we don't. Something like that. And two dice. And um, he rolled them, and it was go." And he went, we're going. And it's like, oh, fuck. Okay, we don't know how it's going to work out, but we're going. And um... you should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. They go, they get Axel there, and then Axel says he won't go on stage if Alan is in the building. <laughs> it's like, for fuck's sake, it's just endless. Now, Alan had the panache to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. And mean, also, you've got to do it. You, you've also got to, you know, the, a person like that, a person like Axel, 
you're employed to represent their best interests. Yeah. So you still have to do it. You still have to go into the office the next morning and make sure he's got his share of the merchandise from Thailand. You know, imagine how that <laughs> must feel. Well, like I said, I think all the all the great managers, and to me, Niven was one of the greats. Uh, you know, it's like Peter Grant and Led Zeppelin, yeah. Epstein and the Beatles. Yeah, they become sort of synonymous with the band as well. And they and they are so uh, they understand their trip so intimately yeah. that uh, a, a bit like opposites attract or relationships that are so intimate they start to go wrong and there's no way back. It was a bit like that. Um, and I think him and Axel, you know, when it was good, it was spectacular. But the minute it started to fall apart, and at that point, you know, Doug is there, and I think, yeah. and of course... Whereas had he been, you know, I mean, the other way to go when you're a band of that size with your management is you go to one of those big sort of corporate deals that, that Doc McGee had for a while, yeah. or has for a while, or whatever, where he manages, you know, Keir Sam Bon Jovi yeah. and Richard Marks and whoever else, you know. So there's an office full of people, and, you know, you're not, there's not that head-to-head mm. relationship that Alan and Axel always had, which were bound to butt heads at some point. Uh, and also Axel being Mr. 24-7, apart from those times when he's completely off the radar. Yeah. Um, you know, Doug Goldstein was probably the only person in the whole world at that point that could keep up with that kind of stuff, you know? And I think Niv... Um, completely understandably just must have turned into some kind of bizarre nightmare. He's making a fortune. He's managing the biggest band in the world, but he just cannot, cannot square the circle with this guy who we now know all these years later would eventually fire everybody in the band, fall out with everybody he ever knew almost and and it and it being nothing really to do with music or business, yeah. just it's just his character, just his yeah. character. Yeah, but it, I mean, you can see why it rankles with Alan, if it does still rankle. I don't know, but at the time, why it rankled is that you know you did it when no one else would do it. You're the one who saw it. You're the one who you know just kind of smoothed that ground initially. And some and of then, their and some of their big breaks, you know, like. Um, that famous show at the Ritz uh, in New York mm. in, oh God, 87? Um, is that just about to come out on an album or a DVD? There's something like that. You're asking that. the wrong person. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it was an MTV thing, and it was all about Great White. And Alan finagled Guns N' Roses onto the bill. And... Uh, it turned out they were they were just at that moment where they were really starting to get super hot, and uh, it became apparent that you know the crowd was all for Guns and Roses, really good for Great White, but it was this is Guns and Roses mm. moment. Alan flipped it somehow. He managed to convince Great White it would be in their better interests not to follow this other group right so guns and roses get their big break headlining at the ritz which held about 2000 i guess yeah. stand-up gig and mtv filmed it because alan insisted um you know their first video welcome to the jungle was because alan had a big budget for the great white video and he and he used the leftovers to get guns and roses into 
make a video. See, so if you've done that, if you've been Mm. smart enough and helpful enough to do that, to to then have it thrown back in your face, yeah, that would be galling. And also, I think, you know, by 91, when Axel finally fires Alan, um, that era, John, you know, I, 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 in my tiny, tiny, by comparison, tiny world... It was about egos. It was about, don't you know, well, I mean, look at, look don't at, you remember what I did? Yeah. You yeah. Know. Look, look at the record that they make. That Again, you know, who's the person who comes up with, you know, Guns N' Roses record 30 songs or whatever, and you're not allowed to alter any of them because Axel says so, you know. Not the, even the, the band. Yeah, no, no one can even listen to November Rain unless Axel says they can or whatever it is. You know, Alan is the one who comes up with the idea of, two albums it's not a double album it's two single albums released on the same day you know that's alan's idea and it turns into a master trick you've got donald trump in a limo outside tower records at midnight on whatever you know day it was released in new york but not because yeah donald trump is there because it's a thing it's a cultural thing he's not there because he's a guns and roses fan he's there because something's happening yeah oh, absolutely. and donald yeah. trump is where goes to where the things are happening yeah. you know and and that was alan that was alan who came up with that idea yeah and it becomes this you know overwhelming success and really what he's done there is he's conjured a load of kind of iffy material in what should have really been you know had it been one album a yeah. single album yeah. would have been decent you know oh very good but instead is this sprawling sort of some good some bad type thing but but which now becomes becomes a cultural event despite some of the terrible tracks and was back off bitch yeah that rubbish yeah um it's now great because it has because it has that sense of event that he was smart enough to create but that leaves such a kind of vast hole for the band to fall into because Yes, you could follow Appetite for Destruction by doing doing something so excessive that it kind of puts Appetite in the shade. But what do you follow (laughs) Use Your Illusion with? And I think Axel ultimately realises, I can't follow this. And it becomes too much and he becomes the recluse and he starts firing everyone and everything else that happens. The sad part is, I mean, going back to the original thing of what Alan said in this interview in the last few days, what was it? They haven't been a creative... Creative force since 1991, yeah. Well, first of all, who is they? You know, because Chinese yeah, yeah. Democracy, that's Axel's solo album. Yeah. Called like an Iomi solo album. They call it Black Sabbath. There's nobody in Black Sabbath on it apart from Iomi. Um uh, so it, it, they, all right. So let's say Axel Slash and Duff. The real they has to include Izzy. Yeah, of course it does. Because he wrote so many of the great yeah. songs or yeah. co-wrote so many. Uh, he was, you know, essence of Guns and Roses, and also Axel's school friend who formed the band with him. So okay, but if we accept for a moment they is Axel Slash and Duff. What's that rubbish? Hard school or some old fucking tripe they put out? What was it we talked about? Oh yeah, they did the. I think, sorry, I think you talked about their solo or the other bands. No, when there was the Velvet Revolver and whatever the no, uh, no, other no, things no, were. No, Velvet Revolver was great compared to you well, know th- th- this tripe yeah, they I mean, put out. Hard school. Yeah, 
but it's rubbish. I, I understand what you're talking about now. Those, but they had those spin-off bands that were, I mean, you know, supergroup style vanity projects. Velvet Revolver for me were the only genuine spin-off that that, that had something. Second album, maybe not so much. First album, not every track for me. But if you saw them live, oh my god! Yeah, they did have Scott Weiland, who was you know, successful in another sphere. So fantastic! I mean, to me, yeah. a, a wonderful band. Mm. Great, and Izzy was supposed to be in it until he wasn't. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I, mean, I think to go to Alan's point, which mm. is what you were talking about, mm. is yeah, what has happened since 1991 that you can put your finger on and go. That's great. Yeah, 31 years ago. Yeah. 31 yeah. years ago. And when you ago. say it like that, he's, you know, he's right. And why shouldn't he be right? I mean, it goes back to this point of, as an artist, any sort of artist, how many paintings are you supposed to paint? How many books are you supposed to write? How many records are you supposed to make? They made Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. It's one of the all-time great rock records. Yeah. You can never take that away. You, can, you know, they made it. That's it. It's done. You know, it's there. It's there forever. And so it's like, because they haven't done six others, does that make them terrible? No, it doesn't. Well, it, 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 musically, no, it doesn't make them terrible. But I mean, it does make it do- a tragedy. Yeah, but, but, but had they... Do- I mean, there's this great thing with the, the, the rock stars that die, the Kurt Cobains, Jimi Hendrix. They've just not become the boring Eric Clapton-type figure... Who goes out and plays a gig at Montreux? You know, that's. You know, tell me, now, Jimmy, Jimi yes, Hendrix would have been yes. do, would have been doing that. You know. Well, hang on, hang on. That's all true, but nobody in Guns N' Roses died. What happened was you got a very damaged individual singing, leading the group, who fucks it up. He fucks yeah. Yeah, but, it up. But I don't think he's necessarily fucked the creativity. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not I'm not sure there was... Because you've got to remember, Appetite for Destruction emerged from the very chaos that you're talking about. The reason it has what it has is it had that mad energy between the people that were making it, mm. you know, plus this sort of desperate desire to get somewhere. Now that desperate desire is gone. So, I mean, in that... Along with two-fifths of the people. Exactly. And that kind of inevitably affects... You look at any artist's later work. I I think... They'll always say what replaces the initial drive is... I think all of that lets them off the hook. It does a bit, but... but, Because the the Eagles haven't released... Where else does it happen? The Eagles haven't released a good album in 42 years. But they're still going strong. The Stones haven't released a good album, in my view, since 1972, over 50 years. But they're still going strong. I think with Guns N' Roses, the very strong feeling is, is that maybe their best days were still ahead of them. Or they they could have at least done one or two more that would have been very interesting. Maybe, maybe. But it's that thing of, uh, you know. We won't know because they, they didn't. They, okay. they didn't. Why didn't they? But no one has a go at the Rolling Stones because they've not been any good for thirty years. No, you know? but but that's because Jagger didn't fire every single one of them, and then spend uh, thirteen years making a Stones album that none of them appear on apart from him, and then another. It's now another thirteen years. Hang, was it that? No, it was uh, seventeen years between. Use Your Illusion and Chinese Rock. 17 years. And now, hang on, and now 13 years since that. 
because Jagger got rid of everybody, was so crazy, he spoiled it for everybody. And now he's back with Keith and one other and a load of other people, side people, and we're supposed to go, oh, they are back. You know, your point is absolutely correct. But the 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 reason it's different for Guns N' Roses, and this is what makes them different too, I know, is this enormous, very strong feeling of tragedy, I think, because I believe they were bursting with creativity in the early 90s. And because of Axel's damaged upbringing or whatever it might be, he brought a halt to it. And it wasn't for creative reasons. It was because of mental issues or some kind of damage. Yeah, I would I would entirely agree and with that. And that's why it's a tragedy, you know? Well, I mean, <laughs> there are scales of tragedy, aren't there? You know, well, no, the tragedy know. A musical rich, tragedy. famous. A so, musical yeah, tragedy. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean... Rich yeah, famous but doesn't, then in, doesn't in the end, there's no shield at all. But you might no, it doesn't. But then you might believe that if that sort of depth of artistic uh, expression was there, it would have come out somehow. You would have thought, right? And it, and but it, it hasn't. It hasn't. So maybe it wasn't there. Maybe uh, it just wasn't there. No, it was there. I mean, you dude. don't know. You just don't. Well, hang on. You can't. You can't go appetite for destruction. Yeah. GNR lie. Use your illusion one or two. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, but all of those things, gone. all of those, it's like any... Who's gone is Slash, Izzy, Duff, Stephen, Matt, Niven. That's yeah, what's gone. Exactly. But there's no saying that now if you put all of those people back together and they all decided they would get along with one another for whatever reason. No, I, no I'm not saying now. There's no, yeah. No, not now. No one's know. any good once they get to their 50s or 60s. It's, well, it's not that they're no good. It's just that thing. I, what I was going to say is that what you, know, you speak to any of those people will tell you is what replaces that initial fire is craftsmanship. So you will get, you know, something that's extremely well written or extremely well painted or extremely well played and put together. And it might not have the fire of old. But they but, don't even do that. No, exactly, no. But that, So again, goes to my argument, is, is it there? Is it really there? These days, no. Yeah. No, Clearly so, not. Yeah. But back and, in and, 1992, But also, if it isn't there, does it matter? Because Appetite for Destruction is still there. If, if Axel, in his situation had not got rid of all the band first making them sign contracts let me finish he makes them sign contracts which gives over all the power to him Izzy who is the closest anybody ever got to Axel musically um, walks out Stephen is summarily fired Already, we're into the Axel Rose solo band. (laughs) Stephen, come on! I mean, he got to the point where. All right. Well, then they 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 get a very good drummer to replace him, but it's still not enough. It's still not enough, and I don't think the the argument you're applying is entirely logical, and I absolutely agree with you, except in this case, because. Um, no, they don't have it anymore. They blew it. They absolutely blew it. When I say they, I mean Axel. Because the rest of them 
wanted to keep going. They did want to keep going, but I think you know, then you well, then you start to say you go into a different argument in when you have you know art that's created by several people working together. Is who were the component parts? Is it were so Slash the, 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 the but the real component? If you get it right down to the note, is easy and Axel, isn't it? Because, I think no, I think know, Slash too. Sla- well, Slash is great. Slash, Slash is great. Came up with exactly, yeah, which is great, yeah. But he could come up with a if he if he was going to could come up with another load of those, and he hasn't done. No, no. Listen, look. The, the fact is, chemistry. Yeah, is everything. Yeah. Being in the room at a certain time, which goes back to what people. I'm saying about the component parts. So, yeah, but you, do they have yeah, that? But if one guy get literally cut, self harming, gets rid of all the things that work. Niven, yeah, Adler, Slash, Izzy, uh, Duff. I mean, for fuck's sake, man. Yeah, no, he, I get he, that completely. He got rid of Slash and brought in a bloke from school days. What was his fucking name then? No, Buckethead or whatever. No, no, before him, school. Paul... Paul... Oh, Paul Huge. Yeah. Paul Huge. Fuck off, man. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, but all your points are correct, but for me, not applied to Guns N' Roses in the early 90s. It was, the for me, the biggest act of self-harm. Yeah, I mean, I will rock. concede. I will concede that had they been slightly more sane, they might have <laughs> if made he, an, if yeah, he. they might have made another, you know, good record. As, but you look at all bands who make their, their albums in bursts. You know, Sabbath with Ozzy. You get that sort of three or four that are great. And that's great. Sabbath with Dio. You get the two great records and then it's over. You know, you, this thing does kind of tend to repeat. Sabbath you know, if, Nirv- if Nirvana was still going, they'd just be Pearl Jam. I'm not talking they'd about, just be making I'm not another, talking about still you know, going 30 years later. Yeah. I'm talking about you're the yeah, hottest band in the world. Yeah, but even that. You've just released even that, three great records. Okay, I give you Pearl Jam. I give you Pearl Jam. You know, the biggest record in the world. They're a huge, you know, they're a stadium rock band dressed up as this grunge thing. Mm. They write these huge I, tunes. See, to me, that's not a fair comparison because to me, Pearl Jam was sort of generic rock. Yeah, exactly. They, they you could, could play have been it free yeah. or bad company. Exactly. So they, Guns so, and Roses had the potential. Well, to be much. I, I much kind bigger. of see what you mean, but what but the point I'm going to is that sort of window of opportunity is quite small. It is. It's, it's and not he a, blew it. He should yeah. have made more of it. What do you think Alan Niven would say? <laughs> I really don't know. I'd be well, interested. He just said it, didn't I'd he? be interested to know what. Yeah, I mean, that's what he said. But whether he thinks that is because they sabotaged or whether he thinks that is just naturally what happens, I don't know. For me, there was nothing natural about what happened to Guns N' Roses. No, there wasn't. But what I'm saying if is had you left them alone... records that were crap... Yeah, but, but had you left them alone, that, that might or might not have happened. You just don't know. That's what we're talking about. If, if what's so? You know, if you just left them alone, it's like Metallica, what isn't it? What do you mean it? if you just left them well, alone? Metallica were just left alone. Right, they make the Black Album. No one goes, you know, James goes a bit mad, but no one goes completely off the rails and throws everyone else out the band. They still don't make four more great records. They've made their great records by the time you get to the Black Album. Yeah, but we all it's never over. know. The point is, well, no, we all you never do. Know. You do know. You do know. I'm t- giving you all the other bands. This is I'm what not happens. Talking about the other bands, <laughs> but, yeah. we don't. But you might know. as well say. You might as well say. You know. Well, the, you know, Leonardo da Vinci. That he would have painted another. You know. 
no, 16 Mona Lisas if he'd had the chance. My point is this. We will never know. And that, and, but for my, me, is but, the tragedy. But my point is, we do know because other examples tell you that. So, yes. But here's the great thing might, about Guns N' Roses. They weren't like the others. They weren't like the others, but none of the others were like the others You know, either. Metallica, I, I, I don't think there's even a close comparison. You know, Metallica were a garage band that lucked out and worked hard and came up with some nice stuff. But until Bob Rock came along and fashioned a classic rock sound for them, they weren't going to sell millions. They were going to be Motorhead or Iron Maiden, and that was their sort of level. Um, They really lucked out with Bob Rock. They have, to their credit, tried very hard to do other things like... (laughs) Um, Don't say it. What do you call it? Saint Lulu. Anger. Oh, which is terrible. Yeah, but it. Yeah, but it's the effort I applaud. The thing with Lou Reed, a masterpiece. Yeah, but the well, a then, masterpiece. Okay, from it, a Lou Reed perspective. Yeah, it was. Pro- I mean, it would it would have limited art rock appeal or whatever. But I suppose what I'm saying is, you, you know, all you can know is to look at the rest of history. And say what happens. Well, here's history. Here's history. We don't know because Axel, Izzy, Slash, Duff, Stephen, Slash, Matt never made another record. And that to me is that's the only point I'm making is I can look elsewhere and I can surmise and guess. What if they'd stayed together and made a fucking masterpiece? Yeah, they might have. That's what I say. Like, you, yeah, exactly, you might, they might get, have done. You might get so one or... So it's a tragedy because yeah, we'll never is, know. Yeah, but you might get one or two more great records. But yeah, might, but we didn't might, get any. But yeah. We didn't you might get any. Got, you might as well say the same about Nirvana, you know. No, he died. Exactly, he died. So he you didn't won't know. fire everybody else <laughs> and bring in a no, load no, no, of fucking you mis- numpties, No, you misunderstand. He? The point I'm making is... Yeah, Nirvana have the reputation they have precisely because he died. Right. And was no unable to fuck it up. Died. What was it, what was he doing at the point he was dying? He was deliberately trying to fuck up Nirvana, wasn't he? Apples he was deliberately deliberately trying to make an unlistenable Apples record. And oranges. Yes, I what agree. What happened to I Nirvana agree. is the guy committed suicide. Nobody killed themselves in Guns N' Roses. Nobody. Not one. They're all still there. And why didn't they make another record? Not because of the natural order of things, but because Axel Rose, this incredibly not, damaged what, individual, what, I mean, what you do, fucked are you, it are up. Are you not, in in essence, going up to Harper Lee and shouting at her for not writing another To Kill if a Mockingbird? If Harper Lee you had just written don't... that book with four other people and then got rid of them all... <laughs> you keep making that point. Yeah, but that is the whole point. It is, a, it is because it's a, you know, a... a a group endeavour to a degree, but... It is, it's chemistry. It's what happens in the room when you make music. Yeah. It's not about an individual writing a book on their own or doing no, a painting. But that, that kind of limited lifespan, I think, to me, comes with the territory. Okay. But for me, Guns N' Roses was never what came with the territory. The, their whole appeal was, oh my God, this shouldn't be happening. Where did this come from? This this isn't where we're at, is it? Um, and they might have made another record and it wasn't very good, but we will never know. And, and my point is, is no one died. 
one guy who had forced the others to sign contracts that gave him complete control got rid of them and brought in people that no one had ever heard of for purely who knows what reason because because they you know were more likely to say yes axel you're right axel i mean you know that's gone that ain't coming back and the two or three tracks they've released in the last two or three years are shit I don't think they'd have been that shit if they'd done another record together in 94 or 95. It might have been dreadful, but we will never know because it might have been genius. Yeah, might have been. But we will never know. And it's not because one of them died or because of the natural order of things. I think it's one of them was against nature. Arabors. What's that? Arabors against nature. Oh, there you are. You You took the words right out of my mouth. Thank you. So, uh, end on Niv. Is he right? Is he what? Is he right? Yeah, of course he's right. And on that bombshell, we We say goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How do I stop this, Fern?